All right, I want to talk about Fox News with you today, but before we do that, I have kind of a funny confession to make. I completely forgot about the one-year anniversary of this show. We launched, well, now one year and several days ago. We launched on May 25th of 2021, and when that day, May 25th of this year, 2022, came around, completely forgot. Just absolutely slipped my mind. Thank goodness I have not uh, forgotten wedding anniversaries like this. But I wanted to say happy one-year anniversary to you. This this isn't really even about me. I've had a blast this year um, doing the show, talking with you. But really, what we have accomplished together this last year is quite something. This is what I said that the show was going to be. This is what I intended, what I planned for, what I hoped for it to be on the very first episode of the very first day. Thank you for joining us on this inaugural episode of The Liz Wheeler Show. My goal is to be your go-to podcast when you need to know, is that true? What are the facts? Is this reality? The left's Achilles heel, of course, is either they lie and assume that you won't fact check them, or they're ignorant and assume you won't do your research. Well, I know my audience does their research. So together, you and I are going to destroy that modus operandi and be champions of reality instead. Because now is not the time to cave to the radical left or to corporate wokeism or cultural Marxism or squishy establishment Republicans or AOC or teachers unions or big tech. Now is the time to be a culture warrior and never back down. So do not be a squish because we have no room for squishes on this show. Okay, so I was thinking about this over the weekend. I went back and watched this first episode, and I thought, this is funny, because when I was talking about identifying reality or speaking reality, and I was talking about cultural wokeism or corporate wokeism and cultural Marxism, this was actually right before, you know, the stuff with Disney happened, right before parents started rising up against critical race theory in schools. And, you know, talking about squishy Republicans, that's literally the topic of this show, what we're going to talk about in a minute. But this weekend, I was thinking, okay, well, in in this past year, have we accomplished this? Has, have we done what I laid out at the beginning that I wanted this show to be? And I thought, yes, we have. And we have because we've done it together. One of the really important things when I started the show was to do this independently because there is a need for a parallel economy in our country right now. When, when you have banks, you know, that, that don't want to allow individuals to open bank accounts or will not give businesses loans based on their political beliefs. When we have, you know, larger even than the individual, when we have these ESG standards where, or, uh, standards where big corporations, big lenders and investment firms won't give money to businesses if those businesses don't prioritize climate change and transgenderism and, you know, all, all kinds of nutty leftist ideology when, when we have conservatives that are, that are facing social ostracization for their religious views or their scientific views on gender, their, their, their vote for Donald Trump. We have to have a parallel economy so that these big corporations know, listen, if, if, if you go woke, you actually will go broke because people, half of the country that you're insulting, will turn to an alternative. But in order to have this alternative, this isn't this isn't as easy as it sounds, right? We learned that with with Parler, that sure, you can build a website and you can say, hey, if Twitter's censoring you because of your conservative beliefs or because you believe in science on on COVID or on vaccines or um, what have you, then you can't just build a website because the infrastructure below the website is still run by the radical left. This is layers and layers and layers deep. So it's not just about building, building, building a platform. It's about, okay, but, but who's hosting that? The web hosting services and on, on whose operating system, what, what phone operating system are you going to want your application to be? And who's the gatekeeper to, to those stores, you know, Apple and Google. And as Parler found out, 
the, the gatekeepers are radical leftists who don't want competition to big tech censoring conservatives. In order for us to be successful together, we have to be successful together, right? It doesn't matter if I'm you know, yelling into the void if no one could hear it because I'm being censored. And the people that actually make what I'm saying matter are you are you? And so we, we, one year later, we're accomplishing what we set out to accomplish. We are, um, determining truth from falsehood. We are speaking reality. We are standing up to corporate wokeism and cultural Marxism. We are being culture warriors. We are, we are dispensing with the squishy Republicans who refuse to fight the fight that is actually imperative in our nation right now, the social issues and the cultural issues. We've created not just a community here, we've created a movement. And because of you, thanks to you, um, this movement that we've created, this community is immune from cancel culture. So we don't have to fear talking about election integrity or transgenderism or science on COVID vaccines or the virus itself or talking about the Chinese or whatever the issue of the day with the left is that they tell us we're not allowed to discuss except in their talking points. Because of you, we have protected this conversation, our ability to have this conversation. And so on this not real one year anniversary, a belated one year anniversary, I wanted to say thank you. Thank you for being on this journey for me. Thank you with me. Thank you for making this show possible. Thank you for what you were doing for our country. And, you know, here's to, here's to more years and more episodes doing this, uh, doing this together, because what you are doing is exactly the opposite of what squishy Republicans like Chris Steyerwalt, who testified in front of the January 6th committee, you're doing exactly the opposite of what he's doing. So let's talk about that. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to the Liz Wheeler show. Now, I like Genucel because it works. How old does your mirror say you are? Well, ladies and gentlemen, you can delay even asking this question for five, 10, even 15 years with the new ultra retinol serum from Genucel. Marina from Fort Lauderdale, Florida loved it so much. She says, great product, my skin loves it. I've spent more money on creams over the years, enough to pay off my house. Just kidding, she writes, but it feels like that. This product has changed my life like no other. Now, Marina is flying high with Genucel's new ultra retinol serum with hyaluronic acid. This technological wonder hydrates your skin at a cellular level and builds on this deep moisture with the incredible anti-wrinkle effects of phytoretinol. You can go to genucel.com slash Liz right now for up to 50% off the brand new ultra retinol serum. You're going to be amazed with the results or you can get your money back. You'll also get Genucel immediate effects for results in 12 hours or less. Who doesn't love that? Free with your order. If you use my URL, go to genucel.com slash Liz. It's spelled G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Liz. Free express shipping free returns, exquisite customer service. Go to genucel.com slash Liz, genucel.com slash Liz. Okay. Let's talk about the January 6th committee. They held their second public hearing and their, their star witness, if you will, was Chris Steyerwalt. Chris Steyerwalt is the former politics editor at Fox News. In fact, full disclosure here, I used to think that this guy was really entertaining on Fox News like 10 years ago. I thought he was very funny, very very, well, entertaining. He was, a, he was a good pundit, a good commentator. Well, fast forward 10 years, and my opinions have changed. He sat down in front of the January 6th committee um, because he was in charge of, of their brain room, if you will, their, their um, decision desk 
which on election night was a place that was calculating who, which, which candidate won which state, right? When, when, when one of these cable news networks calls a state for one candidate or the other, they do it based on algorithm and judgment and numbers and polling and data and counties and all, all of that good stuff. And Chris Dyerwalt was in charge of Fox News's operation on, on election night 2020. He was the one who was organizing when Fox News made the call to, to say that Biden won Arizona. Chris Dyerwalt was, was the one leading that charge. So, several months after the election, uh, Chris Dyerwalt was fired from Fox News because he disagreed with the direction of the network. I'm not sure the exact details. He certainly is portraying it um, because he support he 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 supported the call that Fox News made about Arizona, and maybe some people at Fox didn't. I don't know the details, the insider details. What I do know is he sat down in front of the January 6th committee, in front of Liz Cheney and Adam Schiff and Benny Johnson and um, Adam Kinzinger and you know, all of them. And he testified um, about, about the operation of Fox News. And I, I have to say, before I even, before we even look at these clips together, I actually don't quite understand why this information or what Chris Steyerwalt did on election night is relevant at all to investigating January 6th. The old, there's only one reason why what happened internally at a cable news channel could possibly be relevant to an investigation by a congressional committee like this. But I, 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 I want to look at some of this video first. This is um, before he was formally introduced. Look at what he did. I thank the witness for joining us today. The first panel is now dismissed. Why would you wink like that? Like, really, what's the purpose of that? That That is so off-putting to me. Like, th this is a, obviously a clown committee, right? It's a kangaroo court. At the same time, it's the U.S. Congress. You're supposed to have a little decorum, a little respect for this. Why are you winking? You're not on cable news anymore. It's, that, that's so off-putting to me. He goes on to say, one of the questions that was posed to him was who won the 2020 presidential election. And there was really no need to respond the way he responded. Mr. Stowell, after the votes were counted, who won the presidential election of 2020? Uh, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. of the great state of Delaware. Thank you. That's the bottom line. We've had an election, Mr. Trump lost, but he refused to accept the results of the democratic process. So the only reason that, that you respond right like that is if you're if you're deliberate if you're trying to you're deliberately uh, thumbing your nose at at anybody who supported Donald Trump if you are actually trying to provoke someone that's the only reason to give a showman like answer if you're trying to have the spotlight be on you you're trying to draw all the tension you're trying to generate headlines you um, that's why you respond like that you don't respond like that if you have serious information coming before a serious committee um, now of course you and I know that it's not a serious committee and. Chris Steyerwalt is, is not playing a serious role in this. Um, but the, but just understand, the only reason that you would respond like that is to draw attention to yourself and to deliberately try to provoke the other side. Then uh, chair, the chair of the committee, Benny Thompson, asked Steyerwalt, did Trump have any basis to declare victory on election day or the day after? And this is, this is the clip that liberals claim is some kind of smoking gun. Again, we'll get to why it's not in just a second, but this is his answer. Mr. Steyerwalt, did President Trump 
have any basis to declare victory on November 4th, 2020. So the microphone is a little bit low. Starwalt's microphone's a little bit low, but he says, no, none at all. And this is where I just think it's funny because the Democrats constantly tell us that Fox News is evil, that Fox News is a lying propagandist outfit, that Fox News is controlled by Russia even. And they, they completely discredit Fox. They actually want Fox to be yanked from cable providers. They don't want people to have access to Fox. They claim personalities on Fox are, you know, murderers or racists or xenophobes. I mean, you, you, know, you know what all the insults are like. And yet at the same time, when it's convenient for them, when there's one person who used to work at Fox but doesn't anymore, who no longer likes Fox, apparently, or who is just embraced this, this never-Trump, this anti-Trump crusade, then all of a sudden what happened inside Fox internally on election night becomes real, becomes credible. And it's, uh, guys, you just, you can't have it both ways. Either Fox News is evil and they're lying propagandists, or they're incredibly credible and their their data is is tangible. But you can't pick and choose, cherry pick based on what's convenient for you. So then Chris Steyerwalt gives, um, well, what his opinion was on whether or not Trump had a chance to overturn that original call that Fox made saying that Biden won in Arizona. Hundreds of votes, maybe 300 votes that are going to change. So the idea that through any normal process in any of these states, remember, he had to do it thrice, right? He needed three of these states to change. And in order to do that, I mean, you're at, you're at uh, an infant, you're better off to play the Powerball uh, than to have that come in. Okay. So several things can be true all at the same time. And I think that we as conservatives need to be very blunt and very clear about this. And these several things are the release the Kraken narrative that was so prevalent in the weeks following the election was crazy. Giuliani destroyed the lawsuits, particularly in Pennsylvania, that the lawsuits from the Trump camp or from the Trump side, the election integrity lawsuits, when, when, Politicians in Pennsylvania changed the rules and the laws regarding who could vote and when and how those votes had to be validated. The people that changed those laws had no authority to change those laws. The lawsuit that was that was levied against those who changed those laws without authority was likely to go through until Giuliani swooped in and made other allegations, vague allegations of, of vulnerabilities. And when I say vulnerabilities, it's true. Giuliani was talking about dead people being on, on voter rolls. And it's true there are dead people on voter rolls. And that poses a vulnerability to voter fraud. But that's not what the Pennsylvania lawsuits were about. And when Giuliani swept in and he took over those lawsuits and he brought his vague allegations of vulnerability into that lawsuit, then the lawsuit got dismissed because that wasn't what the lawsuit was about. So release the Kraken was crazy. Giuliani was totally off and he derailed lawsuits that likely would have, or at least potentially could have, made a difference in the outcome of the election. And then President Trump, in the wake of the election, mishandled all of this because he listened to Giuliani, because he listened to release the Kraken. Um, He mishandled how to talk about what happened in the 2020 election and in the lead up to the 2020 election, all the way back to the spring, when as soon as COVID-19 became a thing, immediately the Democrats said, hey, look at that. That's an opportunity for us to push through what Mark Elias, this, this, this Democrat super lawyer, already wanted to push through, that he wanted to, he wanted to electioneer. He wanted to have universal mail-in ballots. He wanted to have drop boxes round the clock that were unattended. He wanted to have ballot harvesting, vote harvesting. He wanted to have 
signature degradation, meaning signature verification, that that was not up to par. He wanted um, he wanted early voting. He wanted late voting. He wanted votes to be counted that as valid that otherwise would not have been counted valid. This was this was a pre-existing Democrat agenda and. Democrats used COVID-19 as an excuse to push all of this through. And President Trump didn't, ad didn't address this in the nuanced way that it needed to be addressed. That, that was very obvious. That's, that's one of the reasons why this went off the rail. All of these things can be true all at once. And still, and still there can be something else that's true. It can also be true that this electioneering that happened because of COVID at the hands of people like Mark Elias and his operatives can also have electioneered the election, electioneered it to the point that it was rigged in the Democrats' favor. Now, the reason that I say that this is nuanced is because what the Democrats do, or even what squishy so-called Republicans like Chris Steyerwalt do, is they present this picture like any allegation of election fraud in 2020 means that, that, that conservatives or Trump supporters believe that all of these individuals walked into the polls and instead of saying like, oh, hi, I'm Liz Wheeler and I'm here to vote and you don't have to show ID, so you don't have to prove it, that I would have walked in and been like, um, I'm Jane Smith and I'm here to vote for her, ha, 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 ha. That, nobody's making that allegation. No, nobody's, nobody's saying that that's what happened, but that's what people like, like the January 6th committee or like Democrats on cable news, or like Chris Starwalt, how they paint this picture. Because you can count the ballots on election day, and it can, the, the, the final tabulation can favor one candidate, like Biden, for example. But that doesn't mean that that's the only way to determine whether there's fraud. A recount isn't going to change necessarily, if it's not close, the outcome of the election if the fraud itself wasn't just a matter of, of um, identifying which people, I guess, cast fraudulent ballots. But if the rules had been changed unfairly, then that would have polluted the entire, the, the entire batch, the entire pool of ballots. And this is a very important nuance because all of these things can be true all at once. And um, it's insulting to you. It's insulting to me. It's insulting to all of us, the, the more than half the country who has concerns with election integrity when people who like to paint themselves as experts like Chris Starwald is doing insinuate that our allegations are completely unfounded based just on the final vote tabulation. That's, um, it's absurd. Now, two things that are really important to me online are safety and privacy. That's why I like Incogni. Thousands of companies are collecting, aggregating, and trading your personal data without you knowing anything about it. Creepy, right? Well, the good news for you is you have the right to request data brokers to delete what information they have about you and protect your privacy. The bad news is it would take you years to do it manually. The best news is Incogni can do the messy work for you automatically. Incogni helps you protect your privacy and take your personal data off the market by reaching out to the data brokers on your behalf, requesting that your personal data be removed, and then dealing with their inevitable uh, objections. Now, most often, the, the data that I'm talking about, these data brokers hold your name, your email, your home address, your phone number, even the names of your relatives, your social security number, your employment history, your shopping habits, just uh, this totality of information about you. You need Incogni. I love it, and I know you will too. The first 100 people to use my URL, incogni.com slash Liz Wheeler, and use my promo code, Liz Wheeler, get 20% off Incogni. Protect your privacy today. Go to incogni.com slash Liz Wheeler and use code Liz Wheeler to take your personal data off the market. Today's video is sponsored by Incogni. Okay, so all, all of this can be true, right? That, that the narratives before 
um, or the narratives just following the election, the Kraken stuff, the Giuliani stuff, can be crazy, that Trump can have mishandled this, that electioneering that rigged the election can also be true, and that it's insulting when the left or the January 6th committee, the rhinos on the committee, or these so-called Republicans like Chris Starwalt try to conflate the two things and um, refuse nuance. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. There, there was a report before Chris Steyerwalt testified. There was a report that the January 6th committee now has enough information for an indictment of President Trump, which, of course, is the purpose of this, this whole fishing expedition, right? This is not about the truth. This is, um, this is about convicting Trump so that he's not allowed to run for office again. It's about criminalizing your free speech, conflating concerns about election integrity with actual violence, saying, oh, if you, if you thought there was a problem, then you're inciting an insurrection. Therefore, the government has a right to stifle you and to silence you. You're not allowed to say anything about Mark Elias and that electioneering. No, no. And big tech will also silence you. Um, and then, of course, the, the Democrats want to push their, their radical leftist voting agenda which will essentially federalize state-run state, state run elections so that the federal government is in charge of an election. It would go something like this. A Democratic incumbent president would actually be in charge of administering his own re-election. That's, that's how corrupt, that's how nuts this is. But I, I don't believe this report, for one thing, that the January 6th committee has enough information for an indictment, especially because this is the witness. Chris Steyerwalt is the witness that they had today, their star witness. And what exactly was he testifying about? If you define the information that he was discussing, he was talking about dysfunction behind the scenes at a cable news network. Oh, the drama. No, no. Anybody who's ever worked at a cable news network knows that dysfunction and drama behind the scenes is totally the norm. This is a, this is a high energy business, a 24-7 news cycle. You run on adrenaline and headlines. Of course there's dysfunction. You add politics and ideology into the mix. I mean, yes, it, I'm, I'm sure there was dysfunction. And honestly, it's a big shrug. So what? So what? This, this is not a big deal at all. But what it shows you is exactly what the January 6th committee's goal is. That their goal is to criminalize speech because it shouldn't matter to them what the opinions of Fox News hosts were. It shouldn't matter to them what the opinions of this, this decision desk were. It shouldn't matter to them what, what, I mean, it shouldn't matter to them what your opinions are, what my opinions are. It simply doesn't matter because we have the right to free speech protected in the constitution. We're allowed to have these opinions and we're allowed to petition our government for a redress of our grievances. The only reason that they would be interested in the opinions of staffers at a cable news network is if they're trying somehow to target certain types of speech, because this is not evidence of any kind of crime. None. This is not law-breaking activity. A narrative itself, an opinion, a tweet about election integrity is not a crime. The president at the time, Trump, talking about issues with election integrity, even if he was wrong about certain things, even if he amplified Giuliani or the Kraken, still not against the law. But the January 6th committee would only highlight someone like Chris Steyerwald if what they are focusing on, what they, what they have in their crosshairs is speech. And Chris Steyerwald is, 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 is playing a huge part in this. I mean, he's, well, he's being their useful idiot. And it's something to behold. By the way, Fox News, um, I know Chris Steyerwald is no longer part of Fox News, so I, I, I'm not associating him with them. But Fox News aired a story this, this weekend um, in honor of Pride Month. Fox News is actually uh, highlighting stories of LGBTQ people for Pride Month 
even though they're supposed to be a conservative network. But this story just, I mean, this takes the cake. This story is parents who trans their daughter, their little girl, um, into a boy. And you will, you will not believe the terms of this story and how Fox praised this. And we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit later because it's very pertinent to what we're talking about now. But, but here, here's the thing about, about Republicans like Chris Steyerwald. The reason that some of these Republicans, and I don't call them conservatives because it's different to be conservative than to belong to the Republican Party. The reason that some of these Republicans like Chris Steyerwald are joining Democrats' anti-Trump crusade, the goal of which is to criminalize your free speech, to uh, convict Trump and thus prohibit him from office and from running for president again, and then use that to leapfrog into pushing their, their radical leftist voting agenda. The reason that some of these Republicans joined Democrats' anti-Trump crusade is because for decades now, I mean, we're talking like 50, 60, 70 years, although it has gotten worse in the last 20. For decades, the Republican Party and GOP operatives have ignored social and cultural issues in our country. None of these GOP stars, if you will, whether it's those in office, in Congress, or on cable news like Steyerwald, were ever actually socially conservative or culturally conservative. In fact, What's, what's worse than not being socially and culturally conservative is they just put up blinders, just willfully ignored as Marxists marched through our cultural institutions and they, they did nothing. They were never willing or interested. They never wanted to fight the culture war. They don't care about life, about abortion, about family, about faith about marriage, about sex, about children, about parental rights, all of these pivotal in cultural institutions that are necessary for a constitutional republic like we have to work. These people, like Chris Steyerwald, were always just, here's a white paper on why minimum wage, raising minimum wage won't work, and uh, I'll tell you what, don't raise taxes. That's all good and well, but it means nothing if the cultural institutions on which this nation and our governmental structure depend on are destroyed. These are not statesmen. These are people playing politics on TV. They don't want to touch the uncomfortable. They don't want to fight a real battle they're just playing with a high adrenaline game. The problem is, is this game impacts people's lives. Politics impacts your family and my family. It impacts our children. It impacts our right to free speech. It impacts everything. But these people, they're not turncoats. They're not traitors. They just never were really conservative. They were Republicans playing politics on TV. And so it shouldn't really surprise us to see them turn on bedrock conservative values now, just like, just like Chris Steyerwalt is. This has been a problem, a deep-seated problem in the Republican Party for decades. This is actually why we are where we are in our country, why so many of our institutions have been co-opted by Marxists, because evil is always going to target us. 
Politicians who want power and who want to impose their ideology on us are always going to try to do that. But their success is less dependent on their motivation than it is on our willingness to fight back and to protect against it and to acknowledge it, acknowledge that it's happening, acknowledge the reality of it. This, this, this goes all the way back to feminism almost a hundred years ago. Um, the idea that conservatives or Republicans or religious people who were really more representative of the conservative movement back then didn't push back on the narrative of feminism. Now, now I'm a, I'm a working woman. I, I like to vote. I like to drive. I, I like to make money. I, I don't want my to have to get my father's permission to, to do anything or my husband's permission. Obviously, I support equality for women under the law. But the original feminists weren't about equality under the law. They weren't about giving women the choice whether they wanted to stay home with their kids or whether they wanted to work. They pretended that that's what they were about, but they 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 never respected women's choice to stay home. And what did what did conservatives do? Conservatives to this day seed that narrative to the radical left. They say, "Well, we'd be original feminists, but it's your second wave and your third wave feminism that we don't like." Original feminists still degraded women who stayed home. They still degraded motherhood. They still told women to find their value outside of the home, that, that their worth was determined by how much, how much money was in their paycheck. They, they, conservatives never pushed back on what's best for children because they didn't want to insult the feminists. They weren't willing to fight a difficult and uncomfortable cultural battle because they'd rather, they'd rather just be economic conservatives. They'd rather just play politics, not, I guess not quite on TV, but yeah, on TV. They'd rather just be stars of their own show. Now, I like cozy earth sheets because they address a problem that many of us have. So let me ask you a question. How did you sleep last night? If you answered this question, well, not so great, or eh, just okay, or please do not ask. Well, you're not alone, my friend. One out of three Americans report being sleep deprived and your sheets could be part of the problem. That's why I like cozy earth sheets. The wrong sheets can trap body heat, leaving you boiling one minute and freezing the next. That's like waking up a million times, not restful. The solution to this is cozy earth sheets. They're the softest, most luxurious, and best temperature regulating sheets on the planet. It's like sleeping on a cloud, which makes sense because they're made from bamboo, which allows cozy earth sheets to breathe. So you sleep at the perfect temperature all year round. Cozy earth even offers a 100 night sleep trial, which means that you have it up to 100 nights to sleep on it, wash it, try it out, if you are not completely in love, just send it back for a full refund. You can now save 35% on Cozy Earth Bamboo Bedding. 35%. That's a great deal, folks. Just go to CozyEarth.com slash Liz35. You have to hurry, though. The offer ends soon. It's CozyEarth.com slash L-I-Z-3-5. CozyEarth.com slash Liz35. So this, this, this Marxist march through our cultural institutions has been ongoing for almost 100 years, and Republicans and conservatives a lot of them, not all of them, a lot of them, and the party in general has been unwilling to, to fight this fight. Look at the sexual revolution. The sexual revolution, which resulted in you know, the advent and the proliferation of birth control and abortion. And sure, there's always going to be Republicans who are pro-life, Republicans who pu push back on abortion. But the reason that the Republican Party needed a pro-life lobby is because most politicians don't want to talk about it. It's uncomfortable for them. People don't want to hear about it, they say. It doesn't pull well. A lot of Republican politicians, when they condemn abortion, they automatically pivot to late-term abortion. 
because it, it, it's so heinous, it's so horrific, it's so graphic that they're like, well, surely the most people will agree with me on that. They don't want to talk about even first trimester abortion. They, they pivot away from that. They don't want to fight the cultural battle. They're ceding this to the Marxists that children can be commodified, that children are a burden, that children, that, that human life has no dignity, no value, no worth, and isn't, isn't codified. The protection of human life isn't codified in the Constitution if that life exists in the mother's womb. I mean, think, think about gender here. And this is, this is, I'm talking gender before the, the, the transgender nonsense. I'm talking about the femininity that was ruined by feminists, but also masculinity. What's one of the hallmarks of masculinity? Protecting women, providing for women fathering children. This has been completely destroyed by the left. We now have an epidemic of fatherlessness in our country that's resulting in higher crime rates and mental health issues and children not understanding how the world works because they don't have a male role model, a father figure in their life. There's more poverty. There's more drug abuse. There's more sex abuse. All of the evils that are in our culture are exacerbated when a child doesn't have a father in the home. And conservatives, a few conservatives have pushed back on this. Phyllis Schlafly pushed back on fatherlessness and on, on the sexual revolution. The Catholic Church has, for the most part. And those who have pushed back on, on these cultural issues were ridiculed. They were not part of the mainstream of the Republican Party. They were always the religious right. Because our squishy Republican politicians don't want to talk about anything that's difficult for them to talk about. They just want to play politics on TV. That's how all of these institutions, whether it's education, first it was college campuses, right? They, they began to become liberal. And what did conservatives do? Well, they complained a little bit about it. They noticed that it got some headlines, so they wrote some articles about it. They didn't really do anything, though. They didn't try to defund especially public universities, but even private universities that get federal research dollars. They didn't try to take away federal dollars to show the universities that they meant business when they said, don't indoctrinate our nation's youth. They didn't do that because that's a cultural issue. They would have had to touch topics that, oh, they don't want to touch that. That might be uncomfortable to talk about. And so it, it, it got into high schools and then middle schools and then primary schools. And now it's as low as preschool and kindergarten where we see, I mean, I don't have to tell you that we see all this radical sex ed, the transgenderism, the drag shows, the critical race theory, the absolute garbage that we see taught that math is racist and that you have to have a land acknowledgement before you start. No Pledge of Allegiance. The media has been completely co-opted by Marxists. Our library system is co-opted by Marxists. The head, the head of the American Library Association is actually a lesbian Marxist. And, I, and the reason that I'm labeling her as a lesbian Marxist is because that's what she labeled herself in a tweet where she was acknowledging her victory uh, in the election for the president of the Library Association. She said a lesbian Marxist won. Okay. Okay. Our medical industry has been co-opted by the Marxists. There is now race-based care models, meaning if you have a certain color skin, you're prioritized. And if you have a certain color skin, then you face discrimination based on the color of your skin. The medical industry also pushes transgenderism and euthanasia. Of course, they train medical providers in abortion. Hollywood is another institution that's been completely co-opted by the left. And this is one of the oldest, this is one, an industry that's one of the oldest uh, that had been co-opted by the left. And except since Ronald Reagan, who's really pushed back on the communists in Hollywood? Not very many people, maybe until DeSantis. The entertainment industry in Hollywood, I mean, think about, think about pornography. The porn industry is one of the biggest industries in our country. It's, porn websites are the most visited websites in our country. Where were conservatives pushing back on this? This not only degrades women, 
It degrades the sexuality of anybody participating. It's bad for you. It, 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 it exploits women in the production sense. These women are often sexually abused, trafficked women. For the viewer, not only are you taking part in that exploitation, not only are you being unfaithful to your marriage vows, not only are you, um, not only are you, you abusing the context of sex, how it's intended to be, it's bad for you mentally. It, it, it harms your mental health. It makes you more violent. It makes you crave more twisted, depraved sex acts. I mean, this, this is nasty stuff that spills over, not just to an online presence, but into your real life. And yet, conservatives, are we just going to ignore all of this? Are we, are, are we going to continue not fighting this fight? Anybody who talks about that is relegated to the, to the religious right, as I said but not mainstream Republicans. Gay marriage, conservatives not only allowed, didn't, didn't fight back, just, just held up their hands and said, we surrender on gay marriage. A lot of them actually supported it. Th this is a pivotal thing because even if you are not religious, even if you are not religious, why would you have government giving you a, a validating pat on the head for your relationship? It's one thing to advocate for equality under the law, which we all do. It's one thing to want to make sure that someone's choice of how they live their lifestyle or who they live with or who they're in a relationship with, that they're, that they're not sent to jail for, for those choices as, as long as it's an adult. It's another thing to want the government to give you validation and a pat on the head for this. And the fact that conservatives, even if they're not religious, which most conservatives are, so I'm even giving this, 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 this argument, which is probably a small fraction of conservatives. Most conservatives are religious, they're Christian, and they should know better than this. But it's anti-conservative to want the government to give a validating pat on the head to a relationship when the government has no interest in doing so. Meaning, the left often says, well, why does the government get involved? Why, why do we validate civilly heterosexual marriage then? Well, it's different than homosexual marriage because heterosexual marriage is the place in which children are begot and the best institution for raising that child and preventing that child from living in poverty and forming them into the next generation of citizens in order for our country to keep on living. So yes, the government has an interest in recognizing uh, traditional marriage, real marriage. But conservatives didn't fight back on this. They didn't fight back on this. They're just unwilling. So many conservatives, so many Republicans are unwilling to fight social battles, unwilling to fight culture wars. And they're useful idiots for the left. They, 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 they want to be able, these Republicans, these squishes want to be able to be drinking buddies with their opposition. Like you can't do that anymore. We, we, if you asked people like Chris Steyerwalt, do you think that what's happening in our country is a battle between good and evil? They'd probably laugh. They'd say, well, the other side is well-intentioned or maybe they're misguided. Maybe in some cases they're dumb. Maybe, maybe a, a little corruption here. Maybe they're just, they're just plain wrong on something, but they would never admit that it's a battle between good and evil ever. It's just playing politics to them. There, there was a New York Post article. There was a New York Post article, and um, I'm going to bring this up right now because I want to read part of this to you. This, is, this is, encapsulates exactly what I'm talking about, about squishy Republicans. It's titled, Donald Trump and Democrats are obsessed with 2020. The GOP should look to the future. And this is what they write. Trump has become a prisoner of his own ego. He can't admit his tweeting and narcissism turned off millions. He won't stop insisting that 2020 was quote unquote stolen, even though he's offered no proof that it's true. Respected officials like former Attorney General Bill Barr call his rants nonsense. This isn't just about Liz Cheney. Mitch McConnell, Betsy DeVos, Mark Meadows, they all knew Trump was delusional. His own daughter and son-in-law testified it was bull. Trump's response? 
He insults Barr and dismisses Ivanka as checked out. He clings to more fantastical theories, such as Dinesh D'Souza's debunked 2,000 mules, even as recounts in Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin confirm Trump lost. Donald Trump lost in 2020. Joe Biden is a disastrous president. Both are true. The nation has been through enough pain and mismanagement for a generation. We need a fresh start. This is from the New York Post. Now, this is especially disappointing from the New York Post because the New York Post has historically, traditionally, even, even in this, this, this modern era, the era of Trump, they've been the ones who've been willing to report on things that the otherwise mainstream media hasn't been. You'll remember the Hunter Biden laptop story? Who was, who was censored on Twitter? The New York Post. They were the ones who broke the original report here. And now look at them. They are echoing this, this establishment, squishy Republican talking point, the same kind of, the same kind of insulting narrative that Chris Steyerwalt is presenting, conflating outright one-to-one ballot fraud with electioneering that rigs an election and completely missing the point. The point being that if we do not address the electioneering, we can't just leave 2020 in the past because 2020 will repeat itself. It'll repeat itself in 2022. It'll repeat itself in 2024. It'll repeat itself until Democrats have a big enough supermajority that they pass their voting, their voting agenda and Republicans never stand a chance of winning again. You have to fight the social issues. You have to fight the culture wars. You have to be willing to talk about what's uncomfortable or you're completely useless, useless in politics. You should hang up your hat and you should go home. And I don't care whether you're on cable news. I don't care whether you're a sitting member of Congress. I don't care who you are. If you're not willing to fight the culture wars, you're actually making matters worse because you are polluting the one movement, the conservative movement that's actually fighting back against the Marxist left in this existential fight for our nation, this fight of good versus evil. Join me over on Locals at LizWheelerShow.com slash Locals. We're going to talk about the Fox News trans story. This is something that needs to be discussed, and it's one of those uncomfortable topics, but hey, one year later, we're not going to shy away from discussing this. LizWheelerShow.com slash Locals. You can use my promo code. It's access if you want to get your first month free. That way you can, you know, come over and join us and watch this for free. Uh, LizWheelerShow.com slash Locals, promo code ACCESS. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figueroa. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.